Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. This effect of a shutdown, once again, you're having to work from home, may be bringing us quite a bit of anxiety, wondering what will happen, um, dynamics at home, what happens at work. And so before we start, I would like to lead us again in a time of prayer as we Bring our burdens to our Lord. Will you now shut your eyes? Then we pray, Father, now we come to you. We bring our burdens to you. We ask that you lift these burdens, that you take our burdens from us and give us peace. And so now with your eyes still closed, Picture our Lord standing in front of you and you with all your problems, all your burdens, bringing each of them to our Lord. Picture each of these problems. It could be a problem at home, a very difficult problem at work. It may be a problem with your health, different concerns. And many of these concerns seem almost insurmountable. There are no solutions or there seem to be no solutions to these problems. Now take each of them and place them like a rock. Place them at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus says, Come to me all who are burdened and are heavy laden tired and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And in First Peter, Peter says, Cast all your cares, cast all your burdens upon him, for he cares for you. So take some time now as you think of each of your burdens, and then place them at the feet of our Lord Jesus. You may want to press the pause button at this point or to stop the button, the stop button first. And take your time to lay your burdens before God. And when you have done that, then you continue with this podcast. Let us pray. Father, we have brought our burdens to you. Each of them bring much anxiety to us, much heaviness our lives. But Lord, as we bring our burdens to you, we ask that you lift them off our backs and you give us peace instead. That in the course of this day, we may have so many reasons to rejoice, so many reasons to thank you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the beautiful things about studying the book of Acts is that the whole, all the events in Acts took place under terrible conditions. The conditions were far worse than ours. They were hounded, they were persecuted, they were rejected. They went through much starvation of many difficulties. As Paul said, he had many shipwrecks, he, had, uh, he was lashed and whipped. He suffered greatly. And yet, one of the things that stands out about the 
Christians at that time then was their joy. And so we need at this time, especially in this lockdown period, to take time to wrestle with God and to ask ourselves that very necessary question. What gives joy? If it is not circumstances, if it is not prosperity, if it's not when everything comes right, instead when all things go wrong, what is it that gives us joy and hope and allows us to continue to live our lives joyfully in praise and in thanksgiving? It cannot be something where you just force yourself to say praise the Lord or thanks be to God. You can't because praise and thanks has to come, have to come from deep within us. And so we need soul searching. We need to wrestle with God, not just search our souls in isolation, but talk to God. We need to talk to God and ask God, why? what is it that truly gives us joy, that makes us alive? How is it that the early Christians, despite their terrible situations, were so full of thanksgiving and praise to God? And then we ask God to give us the same experiences. And so now, today we will look at Acts 2, which is about Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let's now read this entire chapter. Let us pray first. Father, speak your truths to us. Allow us to hear you, understand the truths that you bring into our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, who hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, 
blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body will also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the Patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this life, Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now hear and see. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who received this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We first look at the circumstances of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was the day of Pentecost and then as they were gathered together, they heard a sound like a blowing of a violent wind shook and filled the whole house. 
And then they saw tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. There are several points I'd like to make about this. The first is that you could see this outpouring as something very spectacular and also something very understated. It was spectacular because it was significant to each of the disciples. They heard the blowing of a mighty wind and they saw tongues landing on each of their heads. To each of these disciples, it was a very powerful and unforgettable moment. And yet to the people outside, there was nothing spectacular except that they heard the loud blowing of a wind and then later on they heard the disciples coming out, perhaps minutes later or even hours later, speaking in their language. But there was no pomp and circumstance. There was no great show of fireworks. See, the thing about God is that He does everything intentionally. He does everything with a purpose. Sometimes we think of a revival as something that is so amazing and grand and spectacular. But God doesn't always do that. To the apostles, it was so meaningful, they would never forget. But to the outsiders, there was very little except enough to attract the attention, and we'll talk a bit more about that. But the fact that the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, the fact that it blew with a powerful wind, the fact that it landed on the heads, are something that is very significant to the disciples at that time. And we'll look at that first. First, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost simply means 50 days. And it was initially a celebration celebration of the coming of the Pentateuch, the, the Torah, the law of God. It was on that day that the Holy Spirit came upon the people, the disciples. Now God chose a very significant date. He chose a date when the people celebrated the coming or the reception of the five books of the Bible, the commands of God. What this means is that God was fulfilling His commandments. The Bible tells us that God would give us, write His commands on hearts, not of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That God would write His law into our hearts that we would no longer have to be chained to a list of rules and regulations and feel guilty and ashamed at not obeying, but rather that our hearts would be so changed that we would resonate with the law of God. So the first thing is that when the Holy Spirit comes, it reminds us that God comes to us to fulfill the law as it really was, to love our Lord, our God, with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus said that these were the two commandments that encapsulated all the laws and the prophets of God. And when the Holy Spirit came then on the day of Pentecost, his role signified that his role was to fulfill that, that each of us now would begin to obey God but not out of compulsion, not because we were forced to do it, but because there will be so much joy in our doing it, that God's laws will be written in our hearts. Think of that, that there will be a day as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, as we are transformed 
by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that we will love the ways of God. No longer will we feel that the ways of God are an imposition that make us feel miserable and make us feel guilty, make us feel ashamed that we have not obeyed, but rather that we will so want to obey, we so want to do the works of God, so want to do the things that God, that our hearts will resonate with God's heart. So the first thing is that the law of God will be now something that it belongs to us, something that we will embrace. The second thing about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that it came as a mighty wind. Translation of Greek, the Spirit, is also the breath. God breathing into people. We remember the story of Adam and Eve, that God breathed into Adam and gave him life. God breathed into Eve and gave her life. The breath of God is what gives us life. And so as the Holy Spirit came in a mighty wind, what it signified to the apostles was that the breath that God was breathing into them, that the breath of God had come to them again and made them alive. We often forget that, we often think that being alive simply means walking, talking, living. And yet we know of many who are the walking dead and they're not zombies. Walking dead are those who see nothing beautiful in life, that life is just existence. Life is just one long stretch of burdensome existence. Sometimes the pain is dulled by drugs or some enjoyment or something. But by and large, life is just one whole drag. I don't call that life. I don't think you would call that living as well. That that is as much as death as it could be. Because death in the spirit, death in the soul, is worse than being completely lifeless. And when God breathes into us, He gives us life once again. He allows us to see a different perspective of life. There are people who see life as in everything that's bad. They see people as everything, people, person who's bad. They complain about every person. They complain about every situation. They complain about their entire lot in life. I don't want to mock us, mock each of us, because that's the way many times the way we live often. But when we are alive, we see things differently. We see people as God's gift to us. We see every incident, every event as a blessing from God, even when it's difficult, that it's a blessing that transforms us and that we see a blessing at the end of it. And so those who are made alive are filled with thanksgiving, filled with joy because we are able to see the events of life differently. The whole, whole entire worldview is changed. And so when God breathed into the apostles, doubtless they were living in very dangerous circumstances. They were hounded by the Jews, bullied by the Romans. And yet the next moment we see them bursting out of this room that they were hiding the praying and huddling together and they just walked out and they started preaching in public well aware that they would be arrested, persecuted, 
punished. As it soon became apparent, very soon they would be arrested, they would be told, threatened and told to stop it. But there was no longer that fear of circumstances. There was much thanksgiving and joy. That's what happens when God breathes His Spirit into us. When we are made alive once again. One of the most life-changing experiences I had was when I was went to India on a trip. Uh, it's called a mission trip, but it was very much a holiday too. I went with missionaries and a missionary organization in India. I was in my 20s then, and I was still a lawyer and carrying a lot of burdens. Um, my career wasn't doing well. My relationships weren't doing well. Um, generally, things were not going well for me. And as I went to India, I went to mission fields, the, deep into the jungle, into the wilderness. And there I interacted with the missionaries there. A number of the Indian missionaries had been educated in Ivy League universities, had PhDs in Ivy League universities in the US. They were well qualified, they could have been taken on great careers. But there they were as missionaries earning a subsistence pittance, just enough to buy their meals and to pay their rent. But one of the things that struck me was their joy. There was laughter throughout. It wasn't a forced laughter. It wasn't a laughter that hit pain. It was genuine, full-hearted laughter. They cracked jokes. They laughed at themselves. They laughed at their situations. And they talked joyfully about the things that God was doing in their fields, in their midst. I heard stories that some of them had been persecuted, having to change a religion to Christianity, having to be a missionary and giving up an ordinary life. Some had been disowned by their families, had been rejected by their communities. And yet within these missionary communities, there was so much joy. And when I went home, I, it forced me to think again, what was I pursuing? What was it that would bring fulfillment to my life? What was my life all about? I saw the joy of the missionaries who were living in very difficult circumstances. I saw my life in first world luxury and yet torn, drawn, drawn down by much misery. And it was one of those life-changing events where I had to question the purpose of my life and to ask God, God, where is joy? When God breathes His Holy Spirit into us, it changes the way we look at all our circumstances, it changes the way we look at people, it changes the way we look at the things that we have. We are made fully alive. And so the, the blowing of this violent wind signified God breathing into His people and giving them life. The third then was the tongues of fire. It says that it was like a tongue of fire, tongues of fire that separated, came apart and each one landed on, on the apostles, on the disciples. First of all, the Holy Spirit comes, is known as the Spirit of the Father. It's also known as the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
In Matthew chapter 10, verse 19 to 20, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of the Father. It was in the context of him saying that the disciples would be persecuted and they would be dragged up to high officials, kings and judges, and they were not to worry about what they would say, but that the Spirit of Father will give them words. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, Peter describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is actually God himself, the Spirit of God. And this visual of tongues of fire as the Spirit landing on each individual gave them that deep understanding that God was now entering each of their lives. Yesterday we talked about the Holy Spirit being God in us. And so it is that no longer was God far off, not even God with us, but God inside us, landing on each of their heads and entering their lives. But fire also signifies purification. When the fire of God comes, it opens our eyes to what is right and what is wrong and it brings deep repentance to us. When we realize the way we have been living, the values that we've held, the standards that we have kept, it brings us to deep repentance. When we see how badly we have lived our lives, how wrongly we have lived our lives, and how we could live our lives to matter, the fire of God purifies our hearts. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit signified powerfully to the disciples the things that God was going to do in their lives. And then they began to speak in tongues. A speaker at our service two weeks ago, Darren Tan, spoke about tongues. And he rightly pointed out that the tongues were not prayer language. These days we focus very much on speaking in tongues as the prayer language. But the language that was spoken, the tongues that was given that day at Pentecost wasn't a prayer language. It was a language of ministry. You see, the disciples were surrounded by godly Jews, by Jews from different nations speaking different languages. Perhaps they knew Hebrew, the language, but meant very often Hebrew wasn't the common language spoken. It was um, Aramaic. But the Jews from different areas spoke their own language. What the Holy Spirit wanted to do, as he said, as he had promised, was that people far and wide, to the children and the children's children, and to people near and far, would hear the word of God, hear the good news. God was saying that this gospel of his would be preached everywhere to people of different languages. How was God going to do that that day? He would give the apostles a language of different people that they would hear the good news in their language. What this tells us is that God will find every way of helping us to communicate with people. He will continue to give us various tongues to communicate. He will also give us various ways, unspoken ways of reaching out to others. Think of the people around you. Perhaps the people whom you couldn't communicate with. For some of us who are older, it could be your children. 
your grown-up, your teenage children whom you find generation gap and you can't speak to them. Ask that God will empower you with the Holy Spirit that you will be able to reach out to them in their way, their way of understanding their language. Or you may be a youth or young adult and you wonder how you're going to communicate to your grandparents or even to your parents with whom you may have a broken relationship. Or you could be a husband and wife who have difficulty sharing life, speaking, communicating with each other. It could be neighbours, it could be people of a different culture. But as you pray and as you allow the Holy Spirit to come, to work in you in the power of the Holy Spirit, as this passage says, God will give you the ability to communicate, to communicate life, to communicate the truth of the resurrection to them. And so, take heart. Pray, pray that God will give you that language. Don't feel helpless because you can't communicate. Pray for God to give you that kind of language. It could be the same, same um, it could be English or Chinese, same language in that sense, and yet spoken in a way that will be understood by the other. Each time when I come to a counselling table and I counselling room and I counsel someone, I pray for words that will be able to be understood by the other person. I pray that God will give me that language to help that person understand the truths of God. You could do the same. Ask God to give you the language to communicate. That is the gift of tongues, the desire of God that all may hear of his resurrection of his reconciliation with us in their own language. And then we move on. We see here that this promise is given to everyone. The promise in verse 39, it says, The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. The Holy Spirit comes upon everyone. But it doesn't just come automatically. Remember the apostles waited. They waited in the room until God poured the Spirit. What it means about waiting is that it says of desire, they wanted the Holy Spirit. When the people, the hearers, the Jews around heard the good news, they repented. One of the things then was that they wanted the promise of the Holy Spirit. They wanted God to pour His Holy Spirit upon them. So it is with all of us. Pause and ask God and say, God, you promised me your Holy Spirit. I want your Holy Spirit to fill me. When we come to God indifferently and say, well, you promised, I mean, I suppose I'll get it. Well, if you're not going to ask God for that which he has promised and receive from God, then you're not going to get it. But if you desire the Holy Spirit from your heart and you say to God, God, as you have promised, give me your Holy Spirit, then surely God will give you his Holy Spirit. And then in verse 40, it says, With many other words, Peter warned the people and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Often we think of the word save as in, well, saved as in go to heaven. But you know, in almost all parts of the Bible, the word save is not about saving us to get to heaven. 
It is saving us today from the death that grips us. Peter says, you will be saved, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. He's not saying, well, you save yourself, guarantee yourself a place in heaven. That's not what he said. He said, save yourself from this corrupt generation or this corrupt age. This corrupt age, the word corrupt means to turn over, to, to be distorted, to be perverted. And what it really tells us is that the systems of this world, the values of this world, have been completely distorted and perverted. For example, we value our money far more than we value people, almost all the time. When we do business, we often think of getting money from that person and far less about the welfare of the people that we deal with. We also sacrifice our time with our loved ones for our work and for our income. Even when we don't do that, we always value our own possessions against the possessions or against the welfare of others. Which is why when the Holy Spirit came upon them, that it says in verse 45 that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, suddenly possessions and money became less important. It wasn't because they were forced to do it, they felt guilty or ashamed of doing that. But rather, all of a sudden, their hearts were changed. They were saved from the corrupt generation that told them that their possessions was the most important thing. And suddenly, they saw the truth. They saw that their possessions were far less important than the lives of others, than the needs of others. It became a reprioritizing of their lives. When the Holy Spirit came, it saved them from the values of this world to the values that really matter, that human life was far more important than possessions. And what took place then was a change of their values. But that's one, we value our possessions more than people. But we also value, often we value sin more than righteousness. We talk about winners and losers. We say that the winner is the one who has gone on top. The winner is the one who dominates, who domineers, who gets his way all the time. We talk about losers as, one, as those who yield or who don't win, don't get their way. But this is a perversion of true standards. The person who wins may not gain anything, may just be a dead person. Think of maybe your children when they're young and they were fighting for a toy. And finally, the one who wins gets the toy and then he sees the loser get another toy and he looks at the loser and he thinks, wow, he's got the better toy and he throws his toy away and he grows and gets his brother's other toy. Have we not often done that too? That we have won and gotten our way and then we only see that the other person whom we call the loser is flourishing. We say, hey, what have I got? I've got lousy stuff. And then we go after again the blessings that that person has and we rob that person. And once we've robbed that person, we discover that we don't have anything either. Because you may be a winner in the eyes of the world and yet you are a loser because you've lost life itself. On the other hand, the person who doesn't get what he wants receives, opens his hands and receives from God things that blesses him. And so in the eyes of the world, the loser is the one who is gaining because his dependence on God allows him to receive from God the best of life. 
But we have perverted these standards. We have always striven to be the winners. We have clawed our way to the top to get things that we thought were good, only to discover that whatever the things were, when our hearts are dead, when our souls are dead, we get nothing at all. And so when Paul, when Peter pleaded with the people, save yourselves from this wicked, from this corrupt generation, he was talking about saving yourselves from these values of this world, standards of the world that have blinded you from the things that are really important, that have made our lives miserable, made our lives envious of others, and allowed, caused us to see bleakness in our lives. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And so we look at what really happened as the disciples gathered together, the believers gathered together in verse 42 onwards. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They kept wanting to learn the ways of God. And then in verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Remember that the apostles had the power to perform miracles and signs. All the believers had the Holy Spirit too, but God gave only miracles only to some people. And the purpose is this, that where there is a need, there will be the empowerment. Often we feel that we are helpless because we can't do signs and wonders. But God gives to each of us gifts and abilities and power and empowerment for the times that are needed. So don't have to look for the ability to perform signs and wonders. Ask for the ability to minister where you are, to be a blessing to people where you are, and God will give it to you. But it also says in verse 46, that every day they continued to meet together, they broke bread in their homes, and together were glad with and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of the people. You see, the real power of the Holy Spirit is to allow us to see the goodness of God. They were pray gathering and praising God and they were loving people. They were caring for people and filled with joy. That's the work of the Holy Spirit as He transforms us, as He changes our standards, causes us to see things differently. Let's pray for the pouring of the Holy Spirit upon each of us. That the Holy Spirit will transform us, will open our eyes, will raise us from our deadness to give us life. And then we'll put His standards, His values, His ways into our hearts. Let us pray. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit as you have promised that you will leave no one out, but each of us will receive your Holy Spirit who will then work mightily in our lives. Without the Holy Spirit living in us, without you, God, living in us, we are nothing. We are dead, we are blind, we are unclean, we are corrupt. We do not have your ways. We are unable to communicate but God, when you fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow your Spirit to work in us, then you give us life. Then you open our eyes. Then you put your true standards 
standards that really matter into our lives, into our hearts. And then you give us the ability to communicate your truths, your goodness to others. Father, as you have promised, give us your Holy Spirit that we may truly live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, I'm sorry it took so long, but I hope that you will be blessed and have a blessed day. Goodbye.